0: welcome to the top flight podcast match day five is in the books in the premier league what a match day it was the premier league is back and better than ever after the international break and the champions league and the europa league is ready to begin ori benatar and esteban bailey here once again that was an awesome set of games esteban and we just finished watching southampton and brighton what a match it was. Second straight week that the Seagulls come back from 2-0 down and get a draw.
1: I mean, I don't know if this is sustainable, but it's certainly entertaining for the Seagulls. I mean, Brighton, my god, they really really they really have a never say die attitude. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. I mean, Glenn Murray, my god, he's he's squeaky bum time MVP this season so far. Definitely the last two games, two penalties to get draws. Both
0: 2-0 comebacks, getting two points combined, and then the other three points for Brighton came from the win against Manchester United, but discussing sort of the the highlights of the weekend, uh, got to talk about Liverpool and Tottenham first, 2-1 win for the Reds. They stay perfect, not a super entertaining contest, but Liverpool played Played pretty well. Wijnaldum has been amazing in that number six role. Firmino getting the uh, eventually game-deciding goal. He did leave with an injury. We'll see if he will be available for tomorrow's Champions League contest against PSG. But overall, what do you think of the match, Esteban? Was Liverpool very convincing?
1: Well, I thought they were definitely convincing. I, I didn't think that Tottenham particularly played very well until the final couple minutes of the game and in some parts of the first half. But I thought Liverpool had a very professional style victory against a a talented Tottenham team. Um, I think Tottenham is struggling because of the international break. A lot of their players were playing a lot of minutes for the English national team um, and for other international teams across the world. It's just, and also it, it didn't help that they had uh, Mikael Vorm in goal instead of Hugo Lloris. I mean, Vorm is a pretty mediocre goalkeeper, and he really should have stopped that Wijnaldum goal, but he was unable to. I think Lloris in that position would have been better positioned, and he may have been able to palm it away a little faster. But what can you do? I still think that Liverpool, you know, even though they got a couple lucky breaks and they maybe they were a little fortunate not to give up that penalty at the final minute of the game from Mane to Sun. But I still think that Liverpool was the best team, uh, better the best team that day. I, I thought, you know, Liverpool. They last season they had they struggled with these close games and they struggled with being defensively sure and making sure they don't give up really stupid chances or you know any kind of high quality uh, shots on goal. So I, and I I think it's mission accomplished. You go on the road, you beat a top six opponent, you maintain a perfect record. I mean, what what is there to complain about? I, I thought Liverpool was pretty good to be honest.
0: Yeah, I thought they were pretty good too. I think the only thing that um, is maybe worth complaining about is just the how the bat the front line got stopped a little bit. But you know what? They played a better defense. Tottenham's defense is um, very tight. They're very you know compact. They play well together. And uh, looks like that a couple of them is not are not going to play tomorrow against Inter. It looks like Alderweireld and Trippier are both going to be out for the big uh, Champions League opener for Spurs in Italy. But yeah, I think. Ma- Mo Salah is human. He, we haven't seen him score in uh, a couple of games now. Sadio Mane got stopped, but Liverpool have players that can play multiple positions. We saw that with Georgino Wijnaldum. The fact that he's now playing basically the holding midfielder in the three-man set is you know shocking to me. He was an attacking midfielder back when he was at Newcastle. He was meant to score goals and get assists for the Dutch team, and now he's scoring goals and actually defending really well for Liverpool right now. So a good win. But because of Chelsea's win over Cardiff 4-1, Eden Hazard with a hat trick. Top scorer in the league with five goals. Chelsea are in first on goal difference because of that amazing Willian strike. There was a bit of a scare there. Cardiff had the lead. Saul Bamba's goal gave them the 1-0 lead. But Chelsea is playing amazing. And Eden Hazard might be the best player in Europe right now.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure Madrid is probably Real Madrid is probably regretting not uh, forking out the cash to buy that player. I mean, Eden Hazard, we've known about his quality for many years. He's been he's probably been the best consistent or not consistent, but the best pure player in the Premier League for the last four seasons. He's been inconsistent at times. Of course, when he won the title with Mourinho that first year, he was unstoppable. The second year, he was pretty poor. When he won again with Antonio Conte, he was also really important. He was more of a creative midfielder and trying to create chances for everybody else. And I'm really excited that now Sari has decided nope, it's not about Hazard creating, it's about Hazard finishing and putting him in positions to succeed and keeping him closer to the final third instead of trying to use him as a winger that defends, but also as a creator and all this kind of stuff. I love it. He's basically playing the Dries Mertens role that Sari had for him in Napoli, and I think he's obviously a superior player to Mertens, and I think he's going to play exceptionally well for the rest of the season. I still don't know if this Chelsea... It's weird, because Chelsea's perfect. They're in first place. Uh, They have a really awesome style of attacking football. They have a lot of talent, as we've seen. They've won the Premier League twice in the last four years. I just, I'm not sure if this is sustainable. We saw this with Napoli. Like, Napoli made a real scare against Juventus last season, but they weren't able to completely do it all season, and they faltered at the end, and Juventus finally was able to get their seventh straight title. I'm not sure if Chelsea can sustain this, but I feel like the more that I start to, you know, the, the more I criticize them or the more I think this is going to end, the longer it's going to keep going. So, right now, I, I think Chelsea is going to be pretty good, at least until Christmas. They're going to be pretty dominant um, I still worry about their defense. They're still playing David Luiz. They're still playing Rudiger. These are not exactly the most defensively sound center backs in the world. They're very, you know, technically proficient and they can make great passes. But I'm not certain that when the, you know, the going gets tough and they're playing Manchester City and they're playing Liverpool, that their defense is going to be strong enough to really compete against those two teams. But we'll have to wait and see. I mean, Chelsea's in first. Liverpool's in second. Man City's in third. Watford is still in fourth. I mean, you know, it's still early in the season, so we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, still early days. I think that sustainability,
0: though, is really going to depend on the approach that Chelsea take in the Europa League. Dasari say, this is our chance to win a trophy. Let's put our best players out there Uh, maybe a few days before a match. You know, for example, uh, Chelsea's playing on Thursday in Greece against PAOK, and then they got a match on Sunday uh, at West Ham in match day six. What kind of squad are we going to see in that Thursday game? Does Sari play Hazard? Does he play Giroud? Does he play Conte and Kovacic and Jorginho? Or does he maybe give the youngsters like uh, Loftus Cheek and uh, Christensen, Hudson Adoy in the squad to get some time with him? So I think that Europa League approach is really going to. Give us an idea of how competitive Chelsea can be in the Premier League, because if I think if Chelsea is going full force in the Europa League as well as the Premier League, they're going to run out of gas at some point because it's very hard to sustain uh, league form when you're going after a Europa League trophy because those games are on a Thursday. But Eden Hazard is probably the hottest player in Europe. I said he's probably the best right now. I think he is. Scored some goals for Belgium in the international break, but his teammate Romelu Lukaku is also scoring a ton of goals. Scored again against for against Watford as Men United, in the perfect run of the Hornets in at Vicarage Road 2-1. Lukaku scoring again for the fourth consecutive game, um, including international play. And Chris Smalling, a beautiful strike in the box. Incredible technical ability from Smalling. They might as well play him up front.
1: Uh, well, I mean, he's not very good at the back, so they might as well. But, uh, you know, Manchester United, they're starting to improve slowly. Um, definitely this was a game that was in the balance. Uh, United, again, had a moment where that five-minute stretch in the first half where they were just unstoppable. And you you wish them, United, with all the talent that they have at their disposal, that they could play like this more often. But, you know, it, it is a Mourinho-led team, so what do you expect? But, I mean, David De Gea, you, it's amazing. No, but I mean, it's interesting because I think David De Gea was incredible. Without him, they clearly would have drawn that game. It, it, it's just—it's crazy to me that David de Gea can be the best goalkeeper in the world when he's playing for Manchester United, and one of the worst goalkeepers in the world when he's playing for Spain. It's just—it's so crazy to me that he—he just—he's got this Jekyll and Hyde persona as a footballer. But regardless, I, I think this is a good first step for United. It's been a tough start to the season. Um, they're currently behind both Tottenham and Arsenal, as well as Bournemouth and Watford. But we'll—we'll we'll get to Bournemouth later. Um, so you know. United still has a little ways to go before they can get that automatic top four spot. Um, I, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I think, do you really think that United is starting to turn the corner? Because I still see a lot of the problems that have been they've been facing all season long. They still
0: have their problems, but I think they're starting to turn the corner you look at match day two you see united on three points you see arsenal on zero points now these two teams have nine points each tottenham started the season with three wins united started with one win now they're level on points after tottenham beat united three nil back in late august so i think united have turned the corner they gotta keep giving the ball to lukaku he's their main man if he scores united wins that's really the bottom line Whereas for a team like Crystal Palace, you know Wilfred Zaha, he must score for Crystal Palace to win. Lukaku doesn't necessarily have to score for United to win, but if he does, it's just a nice added bonus because you still have quality up front. You have Lingard, you have Sanchez. The issue that Mourinho is having now is he still hasn't been able to find his preferred front three because Rashford got suspended after the red card against Burnley. We haven't we haven't seen Alexis start every game. We haven't seen Lingard start every game. Martial is taking more of a bench role once. Again again. So the problem is is that you can't develop a type of chemistry that you see with Salah, Firmino and Mane, you know, at Manchester United because there's just so many different changes. But Lukaku is the constant that needs to stay consistent and score goals because that way United can continue this uptick and play well in the league and maybe compete for a top 4 position. Or maybe for top two. Because it is possible. This team is talented enough to finish top two. We saw what they did last season. They had an amazing season last year. People forget that. It's just because Man City had 100 points that United didn't win the title. They had over 80 points for the first time in the post-Fergie era last year. I think that's possible again. But they need their defense to step up. They're starting to find that midfield. I mean, who knew that marijuana Fellaini starting would work? It's working.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been a – it's kind of gone under the radar, but he's been a great player for United since he's been inserted into the starting lineup, giving them that extra physicality and someone to – headed into the box for so I, I think it's working out great it's almost like they're playing with a two striker system with Fellaini playing right underneath Lukaku sometimes because that's how far up the pitch Fellaini likes to go even though he's technically a defensive midfielder um it's good I I, I mean they're they're getting better I just you know I, you're right they haven't really figured out their attack they really haven't figured out their defense their midfield is I know Pogba is you know he's a great player and I love Pogba and I think he's not being utilized correctly but sometimes you know when he's playing for club he's not as I guess, disciplined as he is when he plays for country. Uh, Sometimes he just makes these really stupid mistakes and gives the ball away. We saw it in the Waffer game, especially towards the end when they almost gave up that final goal. You know, Pogba was trying to do a little trick to get past. uh, I think it was Will Hughes and he got it stolen and then led to a counterattack. That might not fly when they're playing against Liverpool or they're playing against Manchester City. I'm not trying to doubt Pogba's quality. He's an excellent footballer. It's just, you know, I, I, it's weird. I I don't know if it's everything is going to click kind of like it did like in last year it clicked I mean you're right they got 80 points they were really really good usually Mourinho's second year is the best year uh when they're playing you know when he's under coaching a team and I think they did have that I'm I'm sure that they're going to start to falter as the season goes on but I don't know United it's weird it I think Lukaku I don't want to I don't want to you know denigrate his talent because he's a very good striker but I do feel that Lukaku only scores against middling to lower level teams. He I, he's he's not as influential when it comes to teams like Tottenham or when he's playing against uh, Liverpool or Chelsea or Man City. You know, he's more he's used as a more of a physical presence in the box to allow creative players to play when they're playing against the big teams. And I feel like if he could just be a little more aggressive, try more to score against the bigger teams, we would. Consider him as one of the best strikers in the world, uh, bar none. But, you know, until then, we're going to have to wait. But uh, I don't know. What what'd you think about Watford? I mean, they've been a surprise this season. They're still in fourth place. What would you think of their performance? Watford played... And
0: I think deserved a point out of that game. If it wasn't for David De Gea, I think Watford get a point out of that game. They played, they outplayed United in the second half. United went to the counterattack. They didn't park the bus as much as we're used to seeing them park the bus because they still had some attacking chances in that second half. But Watford was pushing for that second goal. After Andre Gray got one back, Watford was really close. I mean, in the dying embers of the match, Watford almost equalized and got a point. So that's why in my power rankings coming up uh, at the end of the week, I'm not gonna put I'm not gonna totally uh sink Watford down out of the top ten because they lost to Manchester United. They only lost 2-1 and it was a competitive loss. And I still think they're among the top five teams in the league based on what we've seen in these first five games. And just below them is Bournemouth. They destroyed Leicester 4-2 win. They were up 4-0. Mm. Terrible performance by Leicester. You know, Wes Morgan getting that red card. But with Bournemouth, it's weird. 10 points in their first five matches, they're scoring goals. Ryan Fraser had a brace. Is Bournemouth a legitimate top a legitimate top 10 contender?
1: Yes. Or top six. They're definitely a—well, a, not top six, but they're definitely a top ten contender. They could take that Europa League spot that Burnley had last season. It's certainly possible. I I always feel that attacking teams are are more likely to get that seven spot, and I think last year with Burnley it was a little bit of a—just a, kind of a misnomer. But this Bournemouth team, what I really like about them, and regardless of the fact that they gave up two goals at the end to Leicester City— I like how structured they are in defense. In in previous years, Bournemouth would put everything in the attack, try to outscore teams, and that's how they would survive. This season, with the inclusion of Jefferson Lerma, um, I think that they've actually improved a lot. And in that defensive position, they're able to get more uh, more interceptions in the middle of the park. I think they're able to create faster because of those interceptions. I think that their possession system has evolved beyond a Wenger ball light into a more, not a pressing system, but it's a possession with the ball in the final third, that's more incisive than we you would probably imagine with a lot of in the teams. I think Ryan Frazier has been awesome and specifically in that game, he was excellent. Both goals were really well taken. Their strikers have been really hard working and also been pretty good in getting goals as well. I mean, Josh King, he scored a penalty, but he's been excellent this season. I really like watching Bournemouth. I kind of hope they can m- maintain this momentum more so than I hope for Wofford. Like, I, I think Wofford is a good team, and they're really defensively solid. And maybe, you know, because of the law of football states that, you know, the more defensively solid team, they're going to probably do better. I think think Watford is more likely to fall off than Bournemouth just because I think Bournemouth's attack is just it's so good I, I it's it's wonderful to watch it's one of the best in the entire country I mean their goal difference right now it may be three but I I, I feel like they score four or five goals a game it's crazy yeah because everyone's healthy once everyone's healthy on that
0: front line especially Callum Wilson Bournemouth can score lots of goals and lots of games and you know what I hold my hand up and I said this game was going to finish zero zero I went out of the box I was way off, but you know what? This was the only game that I was like totally off on. Well, the West ham game too, but yeah, Bournemouth's offense is really good. Keep everyone healthy, especially Callum Wilson and the cherries can maybe finish in seventh. Some of the other results for match day five, Arsenal beating Newcastle two-one. one. It is the fourth loss of the season for the magpies, but all four of their losses have been by a two, one scoreline against top six sides. Mesut Ozil scoring on his 200th appearance for the gunners. Um, Quick couple of words, Esteban, from you, what you thought of Arsenal's
1: performance. And now they have nine points. Well, you know, it's I. It's kind of expected. Uh, Arsenal should have come into St. James's Park and won last season. Obviously, that did not happen. And it's good to see that Arsenal can perform on the road as well as perform at home. Um, Aubameyang was a little—he didn't play very well today. Uh, he didn't play very well against Newcastle on the wing, but I thought Lacazette played well. Um, first half was definitely terrible. Arsenal played— very, very poorly. However, with the include, with the, you know, bringing in Lucas Torreira off the bench in that halftime really changed the game up. It's clear that Granit Jaca and Torreira can actually be a partnership that works. Granit Xhaka it's interesting. I think we all pegged him as being a number six Javi Alonso type, but I don't think he is a number six. He's a hybrid of a number eight and a number six where he doesn't want to play at the base of the midfield, but he doesn't want to be in the final third either. He wants to play in that little in between space where he can create uh from this you know he can create from a midfield role but he's also the one that's, like, dictating the pace. So I, I, I'm really interested to see if Torreira can give him the defensive stability where Arsenal can actually be more defensively stout. Now, they gave up that stupid goal, but I, I, I don't know why Torreira is not starting. He's, he's, a, real, he's a live wire. He's a, he's a real player, a very exciting player that Arsenal, you know, as an Arsenal fan, we have definitely not seen a player of his quality in that position for many, many years.
0: So Lucas Torreira, definitely a fan favorite among Gunner fans. Uh, Granit Xhaka scoring a nice free kick. I thought the two of them together, they looked pretty good. Uh, Man City, home win against Fulham 3-0. I think that's pretty expected. Man City basically always scores at home and always wins at home, usually. Leroy Sané, first start of the season, scored it inside 97 seconds. David Silva becoming the 100th player in Premier League history to have at least 50 goals. Some of the other games, Crystal Palace, 1-0 over Huddersfield. Wilfred Zaha, beautiful solo effort in his return. Wolves beat Burnley, 1-0 on Sunday. Goal from Raul Jimenez. Wolves now have eight points just behind Man United, Arsenal, and Spurs. West Ham finally... Off of the Schneid, 3-1 win at Everton. Two goals from Andre Yarmolenko after a good international break with Ukraine. And then we mentioned the Monday night 2-2 draw uh, between Southampton and Brighton. But I want to talk about Burnley here before we get to our best of the weekend. This team has played 11 games already this season, counting all the Europa League qualification matches, and they didn't make the group stage. And they've played five games in the league. Six games in the Europa League qualification. They've lost four straight. They're conceding goals. Joe Hart did make five saves against Wolves. But what? when are we going to start seeing Burnley get back to this form that we saw last season where they were getting a couple of draws and some 1-0 wins? Because right now it just seems like they're just so tired.
1: Yeah, you know what's funny? Um, this was the first weekend where I genuinely thought Burnley is going to get relegated. Um, it's clear that Burnley is exhausted I don't think their defensive principles are really standing up right now to the more modern Premier League. I mean, last season, we had a lot of coaches get fired, and a lot of the new ones that have come in have been really exciting and European and continental-based, and they're bringing in these more attacking philosophies. Um, I mean, you know, Burnley, they, they have a British sensibility. They're, they want to play 4-4-2 or some variation of that, but just look at the games that they've already played. I mean, they played against Woff- Wofford, and they lost 3-1. I mean, Wofford has a really interesting Spanish coach He's playing a a very Spanish-style 4-4-2, which is, while it's defensively sound, there's still a little bit of incisiveness that you don't usually see in the Premier League. Fulham have spent a lot of money, and they're playing a very progressive and attacking style of football, and they blew Burnley away 4-2. I I just, you know, I think the problem with... And, of course, Burnley lost yesterday to Wolverhampton, which, I mean, that's probably the most Portuguese team that we'll (laughs) we'll ever see outside of Portugal. It's just, it's interesting to me, because, like... I don't want to, you know. I'm sorry, John Patrick, but I I honestly think that Burnley might be that third team that gets relegated along with Huddersfield and Cardiff. I mean, Burnley right now is in last place, but their goal difference is what really is startling to me, which is minus seven. Um, Newcastle, while they've played, they've had a tough schedule. I think I think they will improve and they won't get relegated. And I still think that Huddersfield and Cardiff are the two worst teams in the top flight. So. I think Burnley might get relegated which is shocking and I think that's a clear warning signs to a lot of these lower level Premier League clubs that maybe it's not wise to try to get the Europa League spot because it just tires out your players and if you have older out you know maybe not outdated but older school style of a tactical play maybe that's not really the you know the best thing to just tire out your players before you play some really impressive attacking teams in the Premier League. I do think that's something that
0: UEFA might need to address is maybe have one less round of Europa League qualification because I think it's ridiculous how you look at teams that want to qualify for the Europa League. They have to start in the second round of qualifying. They're playing games from mid-July, and if they get all the way to the last round, which Burnley did before they lost to Olympiacos, They're playing until you know, August. So that's already, in Burnley's case, they had already played, I think, four or five matches before their first match in the Premier League because they still were playing Olympiacos in the Europa League. So I think that's something UEFA needs to address because I don't think it's fair to to teams whose players might have international breaks, who might have big tournaments to play in. Across Europe, all these teams, there's so many teams that can make the Europa League And they have to play two months after their season's end, and for some of these players who are stuck playing in international tournaments, they maybe get three weeks of rest. So I think that's something that needs to be addressed because the fact that Burnley have played 11 games and a team like Liverpool have only played five And I mean, Liverpool's quality is obviously better, but maybe a team with similar quality to Burnley, the likes of maybe Cardiff or Huddersfield, they have points. They have two points. Cardiff have played okay in their matches. They had a lead against Chelsea. They had two leads against Arsenal. They haven't had to play in a European competition. They've had time to rest. So I think it just goes to show maybe that's something UEFA addresses to shorten the Europa League qualification. So Burnley in last, Chelsea in first in the league. Best of, I think we can both agree best player
1: Eden Hazard doesn't need much discussion. No, not at all. That hat trick was beautiful, and I I grit my teeth while saying it, but he was fantastic.
0: Also, best fantasy performance because he scored a hat trick. Just the second hat trick of the season. Aguero got the first against Huddersfield in uh, match day two. Best match and best goal I think is where most of the debate is, because best match, we didn't have any games that were total thrillers. The Southampton Brighton game was a nice way to end it, but I think that the Watford United game was my favorite game, entertainment-wise, because Watford was really close to getting a they could have even won the game and that second half was
1: end-to-end stuff I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I disagree with you slightly. I, I do think that that Wofford-United game was a lot of fun. I mean, it was very dramatic towards the end, because I genuinely thought Wofford was going to score, but David De Gea was just everywhere, and, ev- you know, he was incredible at the end. But my favorite game of the weekend was actually Everton versus West Ham. Uh, the scoreline doesn't really do it justice. It was a really entertaining game. Uh, West Ham wasn't necessarily dominating. It was kind of back and forth. Uh, you know, the, the final third goal was not necessarily from a counterattack, but it was clear that Everton was pushing numbers forward so they weren't as defensively solid. I thought Yarmolenko was awesome and he had some great goals and Marko Arnautovic was just, you know, being Marko Arnautovic. I think their front three of Anderson, Marko Arnautovic, Yarmolenko, I think that's going to work out and if, you know, if Pellegrini can just or can just, like, be a little braver with his attacking formations, um, maybe West Ham can rise up the table a little faster than we expect. But, uh, yeah, definitely, I, I thought that West Ham game was a lot of fun, and it was good to see the finally, that West Ham's awesome talent was clicking on, at least on one day.
0: Yeah, that's what we expected the Hammers to play like in the beginning of the season, and now they finally showed what they can do in their first win of the season. Best goal, I narrow it down to three. Willian's goal... Zaha's, and Hoiberg's. Those are probably the best three. Out of those three, which would you pick?
1: Ooh, I would probably pick Hoiberg. I thought that was just so unexpected while watching. It was just like, it was so low. It was such a grass cutter, but like... It, it was almost like watching it in slow motion in real time. And I, I, when it fell into the back of the net, I, you know, I jumped from my couch because I was like, whoa, that, that, that should not have happened. But it, it was just really nice. So I'll go with that one. Although the Zaha goal has a really close. That, that one was so gorgeous. Eh, it's tough to pick, but I'll go with Hoiberg. Yeah, Zaha was my initial
0: choice before the game today, but I'm also picking Hoiberg. It was a Kyle Walker-esque shot. Very similar, except he kept it lower to the ground, I think. And I think it actually hit the corner even more than Kyle Walker's goal did against Newcastle. Hoiberg has played really well for Southampton. And Southampton, they were up 2-0. They win that game. They'd be in 10th place, a quiet 10th place. But Southampton, five points after the draw. Brighton is you know, coming back from these games and doing good things. But Southampton are actually playing a lot better than I thought because Danny Ings is scoring. He scored again, three goals for him this season. Uh, The strike partnership with either him and Charlie Austin or even him and Shane Long is working. And Hoiberg is playing very well for Southampton too. Bertrand is a solid player at left back. So Southampton's surprising a little bit. And then best moment, I kind of am tempted to pick Glenn Murray's penalty because he did it for a second straight week.
1: I can't think of anything else. That was good. I would probably say, uh, you know, what's interesting is that I'm going to go with Wolverhampton getting their first win in the Premier League for five years. You know, the last time they were in the Premier League, they were really, really bad. And I think it was in December of 2013, or or I don't remember the exact year, but uh, that was the last time they won a Premier League home game. And it was nice to see their fans finally, you know, celebrate a home victory uh, with a pretty impressive performance over Burnley, so I- I'm going to go with the Wolverhampton celebrations after their win. Well, I'm sure there's going to be
0: some even better moments starting tomorrow because the champions are back. These are the champions. European football. Pumped, man! I'm pumped. Ready?
1: Oh, oh yeah, I'm ready to go. This is going to be this is an extremely exciting slate of games, probably more exciting than last season and maybe the season before, just for the opening day of the Champions League.
0: And just and not just that, it's just such a different picture painted. All the big teams have such different squads now and it's post-World Cup. So many questions to be answered. The you know, Madrid trying to win a fourth straight without Ronaldo. Ronaldo now on Juventus. He finally scored in Serie A this past weekend. What are the English teams gonna do? What's Barcelona gonna do without Iniesta? PSG now with Mbappe. As a World Cup winner with Neymar and Cavani, how do they react? How do they play well? Can they get further than they ever have been? A semifinal, at least, is what their fans are expecting. Maybe a final for sure. Bayern, Atletico, Dortmund, Monaco, Inter, some of these other teams that are sort of flying under the radar. But we talked about the groups uh, in length in our Champions League and Europa League draw reaction. That's a previous episode of this podcast. You can check that out. Go to Spreaker.com and search the Top Flight Podcast or subscribe to us. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Top Flight Podcast. Get every episode instantly when it is released. Uh, But today we're just going to be predicting the Premier League matches that are going to happen in uh, the Champions League and the Europa League. And also, just discussing a, a quick, maybe little discussion about uh, for the American viewers, what's it going to be like to watch it on Turner? Because the games are going to be on TNT. There is going to be double headers this week. There's only going to be one Premier League team that you can watch on TNT. That will be the Liverpool PSG game tomorrow. Every other Premier League game in the Europa League and the Champions League will be on BR Live. You can buy the solo match two ninety nine or um, pay a $10 a month payment to get every game. So a bit disappointing to see that because the other games on TNT, it's a Barca and PSV Liverpool PSG tomorrow. And then Wednesday, Ajax against AEK and then Madrid versus Roma.
1: I mean, you know, it's not the worst slate in the world. I mean, I I would have preferred if you could watch, you know, Inter and Tottenham than Barcelona and PSV. But Barcelona is the top draw in America, or one of the top draws in America. So it makes sense to me why they would uh, do it. But I'm more interested in the Inter Inter Tottenham game. That that's going to be fun. I'm interested in the AS Monaco versus Madrid game. Um, I'm interested. You know, it's funny. I'm only interested, and this is like the nerdy part of me, in the Red Star Napoli game, just because I think Napoli's had a weird start to the season, and Red Star Arsenal played them last year. it's gonna be in Serbia or wherever they play, um, and it's gonna be pretty intense atmosphere uh, just from watching it last season. And I think Napoli might struggle a little bit, but you know, eh, I would have preferred some other games instead of that Barcelona game. Eindhoven is fun because of Lozano, but. Eh, beside that, I, I don't really care that much about Dutch football. But, you know, at least we got Liverpool PSG. Yeah, at least we got Liverpool PSG. So what do you think is going to happen in that
0: game? Give me a score prediction for Liverpool PSG. Oof.
1: <sighs> you know, my heart wants me to say that it's going to be like a 4-3. But I, I it's a Champions League game. You rarely get those kind of performances. And usually when they happen, it's like super legendary. I'm going to go with... A, <sighs> I don't think Liverpool is going to win... But I don't think PSG is going to win. So I'm going to go with a a 2-2 draw. I I want it to be entertaining. I think that both attacks are going to nullify each other. I think both defenses have problems. But I do think that each team will score enough goals just to not lose. And I think at this point in the the competition, nobody's going out there to win. Everybody's going out there to not lose or not fall too far behind, especially in such a tough group. So I pick a 2-2 draw. I'm picking a 2-1
0: PSG win just because I think Neymar and Mbappe are playing better right now than Mane and uh, Salah. And there's also the possibility that Firmino is not playing because when Vertonghen kind of stuck his finger in his eye, so disgusting-looking picture, it's really gross. But uh, you could see Daniel Sturridge start, so I think that's going to uh, be a big kick to Liverpool. I think that's not going to help them a lot, and PSG is fully healthy, winning all their games in league 1 against not some amazing competition compared to what Liverpool's facing in the Premier League. But I think the quality of Neymar and Mbappe will win them that game 2-1. As for Inter-Tottenham... I think Tottenham will struggle without Alderweireld and Trippier. I think Inter is going to win. Give me a 2-0 victory for Inter. I'm expecting a big performance from Mauro Icardi.
1: So I've been watching a lot of Inter because of my ESPN Plus subscription. I've been watching a lot of Serie A this season, which has been a lot of fun. I will tell you this. Inter is not a good team. Uh, They have Luciano Spalletti as their head coach. And Spalletti is one of the most defensively inept coaches in Italy. His attacks are usually pretty solid, but... I honestly like. I don't think Inter's any good whatsoever. They've played very poorly against a lot of their uh, Italian opposition, and I don't think that Inter is going to be able to break down Tottenham as easily as they have been able to do in Serie A with some other teams. I think even with Albert Tungen, uh they'll have Davidson Sanchez. I think they have depth back there that will help them uh, repel any kind of Inter attacks. I think Icardi's. A little overrated as a striker he's really just a fox in the box he doesn't really create he's not really good at at getting assists in the box he's just if you get the ball you know within six yards he'll most likely bury it um i honestly think topman's gonna win 2-1 Spalletti will maybe Inter gets an early goal but I think Tottenham's going to fight back and they'll they'll eventually win and I think it's going to just compound Inter's problems which I to me they're not they're not a good team so I think that's it's going to be we're going to be revealed how poor this Inter team is
0: yeah uh, interesting that we have differing picks that's very rare usually especially when it comes to the Premier League picks but I don't know I think Inter at home and Tottenham without Kieran Trippier, I just don't know if they're going to be able to generate as much offense um, because Delia Ali has kind of been off the ball a little bit, similar to his World Cup form. He hasn't been contributing as much as we're used to. Harry Kane did get some goals in August, but he didn't score during the international break. He didn't score against Liverpool, didn't score, in Tottenham's lost to Watford. Tottenham have lost two straight, so going to Italy, going on the road in the Champions League after a two-game losing streak is always tough, so... I just think that Inter will pull off the up pull off the upset because they probably are not the favorites in this match and uh, get off the Schneid and get themselves a victory. As for the Manchester clubs, they're both playing on Wednesday. United at BSC Young Boys in Switzerland. This should be a comfortable United win. I don't expect United to fumble against any of the teams in their group. Uh, no. I expect them to I don't I expect them to fumble maybe once against Valencia. They are probably going to lose to Juventus twice, maybe get a draw, but I don't expect them to fumble in either of their games against uh, Young Boys. I think
1: United wins 4-0 in Switzerland. I just am always I'm always wary about United going to Switzerland. There's obviously a lot of previous defeats to oh, Basel in the Champions of Basil, League. Yeah. <laughs> I think Young Boys, I, you know, I, I I'm not going to lie and say that I've seen a lot of Young Boys, but I, you know, I watch a lot of their players just for scouting and just to uh, see if maybe Arsenal would want to buy somebody from the Swiss league. I'll just say this. I think Young Boys is talented. They have a lot of interesting younger players. Manchester United has had a weird start to the season. Games that they should win, they struggle. Uh, games where it could be one or you know one or the other, they struggle. they they've just. They, I think Lukaku has been very good against these kind of weaker teams, and I think he'll probably have a good day against Young Boys. But I still wouldn't be shocked if this was a draw. I'm not going to pick a draw. I think United will win two nothing. But I really wouldn't be shocked if Young Boys pulls off an upset against United and just puts Mourinho closer to the grave because like. I don't know. United always struggles when they go to Switzerland. That's just a a thing that's been happening in the last few years. No, I, I don't see it this week. I see United maybe losing at
0: Valencia or at home to Valencia. I don't think United will beat Valencia twice. I think they can beat young boys twice because usually it's against that third team in the group where United have their troubles. And United recently have had some really, really good draws in the Champions League. This actually might be one of the toughest draws they've had over the past couple of years in the post-Ferguson era because they have to run into Juventus and Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, Valencia, who is struggling a lot in La Liga. I mean, Valencia is basically... um, in like 17th place right now they are not playing well in La Liga currently but I think they'll pick up their form once we hit October November and United might lose a game against them the last Premier League game for the Champions League is City against Lyon it at the Etihad Fakir against a pep side. no question about this City wins I got them winning 3-1
1: yeah, I, I mean, I also have Manchester City winning. That that should be a pretty easy victory, honestly. Leon is not really that impressive. They lost Mariano. Memphis Depay is okay. Fakir is a good player, obviously. But, you know, City's playing at home. Yeah, they might struggle in the Champions League because they have in previous years, but not in the group stage, and at least not until the quarterfinals. I think City's going to pretty easily handle Group F. Uh, Leon might be their toughest, uh, competition in this group. Maybe Shakhtar, Hoffenheim hasn't had a really good start to the season either, but yeah, Man City should take care of business. I'm not really worried about them. They'll, they'll probably win. I'm going to say three 0 not three one.
0: Yeah, they're definitely going to score three goals. They're at home. They scored three goals against Fulham. I think they'll do it again on Wednesday rather than picking the scorelines of the Europa League games. Cause you know, Chelsea's at PAOK and Arsenal is hosting a Vorskla a team which uh, I think I've only just heard of when the Europa League draw happened, which team will win by a higher
1: margin? Oh, Chelsea. Uh, I think uh, Arsenal. Really? Why do you think Arsenal? They're at home and they're playing a worse team. No, you know, it's just... uh, The thing about Arsenal is that I I think they have a pretty porous defense so they could give up some some stupid goals against Vorskla. I mean Vorskla's not a good team obviously but I still think that Arsenal is prone to giving up bad goals Burton Leno is going to be playing most likely in that game which is going to be exciting to watch hopefully Torreira gets, gets, gets some game time some younger players might get some game time which would be fun but I still you know I, with that with younger players coming in uh, that, I, that to me tells me that Arsenal is not going to be able to score that many goals. So that's, that's why I think Chelsea with their attacking system, with a lot of depth that they have on the bench, I think they'll be able to score more and, you know, get their Europa League off in the the right start.
0: Both teams should be getting three points in the Europa League start, uh, excited for European competition, excited for uh, more premier league action, uh, next weekend,
1: uh, before we go for the day, how did you do on your picks? So what's funny is that we both, we tied, and it wasn't looking like that for the majority of the weekend. You were kicking my butt. I mean, you picked some perfect scorelines. Uh, Three to be exact. That's right. Huddersfield Town, Crystal Palace, you picked a 1-0. You picked Man City Full 3-0. You picked uh, Wofford United 2-1. I mean, it was pretty impressive. However, however... You were beating me how I still got the final three games at least to go my way or closest to me. I picked Wolverhampton to win by one goal. You picked them to win by two. I picked uh, West Ham to win, and they won 3-1. And in the Southampton-Brighton game, you picked a 2-0 win for Southampton. I picked 2-1. The result was 2-2. So I get that one because I picked the higher scoreline for Brighton. So we both finished with five. Uh, so it's a draw, even though you probably had the best run of three perfect scorelines. We'll see if you can keep that up. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna fight you the whole way.
0: Yeah, I'm on a good streak. Last three match days, I've picked at least a minimum one scoreline right. I got six games right, and I got four of the five four of the five right of the 10 a.m. Eastern games on Saturday. So I'm really happy with that, and I'm also happy that I'm not just picking top six wins because usually that's just been the case just getting top six wins i picked the crystal palace win i picked the wolves win so i'm happy with that but still a majority of the picks we're going to get right are going to be the top six picks got to get those niche uh results like a west ham win over everton or even a southampton brighton draw i just thought southampton at home were going to be able to do it and you know what they almost did they were close to getting that scoreline, but it wasn't meant to be so for esteban amori Enjoy your Champions League. Enjoy your your, your Europa League. That's a tough sentence to say, a tongue twister for sure. We'll be back sometime later in the week to discuss all of the European matches and also preview match day six of the Premier League. Go to thetopflight.com, check out some stories and more on the Premier League and the Champions League. We'll see you guys next time.